Now, chapter 4 is the dividing point of the book of Ephesians. First three chapters is more uh, Bible doctrine and uh, means the principles and truths of Christianity. And so he takes time to just lay that out. And then the last three chapters is more the application, which is the, um, which is the walking out and applying the principles and truths that he's been talking about. And so we need to remember that the Bible is really not a, a history book as much as it is a manual for life. How many of you know the Lord gave us his book to, 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 so that we could learn how to walk, how we can learn how to live? It's a manual that teaches you how to live out the Christian life. And so right out of the gates in Ephesians 4, uh, Paul challenges the church on how to walk out your Christianity. And so he says in Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And so remember, he was in prison when he wrote this letter. And he says, hey, listen, as a prisoner of the Lord, I'm a prisoner. But I want to urge you, encourage you to live out a life worthy of the calling. So after, after uh, teaching the Ephesians, you know, the doctrinal truths that you've been adopted, you've been chosen, you've been redeemed, you're, you're seated in heavenly places, you're filled with the Spirit, you've called into salvation. He says, now that you know all that, now you need to walk this out. You need to walk out this spiritual calling. You know, 1 Peter 2 and 2 says, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that it may help you to, that you may grow in your salvation. How I many of you know the Lord doesn't want us to stay infant spiritually? He wants us to grow, right? And you know, you can grow old in the Lord and not grow up in the Lord, Right? You can be a Christian a long time, but still be acting like an infant. And so he says, let's grow up. You know, come on. How many of you wanted to tell some adults sometimes, come on, you need to grow up. That's what I think Paul's wanting to say. Okay, now you know all this. Now let's grow up. Amen. So he was encouraging them to learn how to walk out their Christianity. And so then he explains to them how to do that in the very next verse. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So right here in these next verses, Paul gives us the how-tos. How to walk out your Christianity. First, he says, you need to walk in humility. And that's what he says in Ephesians 4, 2. Be completely humble. Well, how many of you say, well, I got that down. Let's go to the next point. Okay, that's an indication we need to spend some time right here, right? According to Paul, living a life, uh, the, living the Christian life, you have to live a life of complete humility. It's the responsibility of every Christian. James 4, 16 says, humble yourself. The Bible says it's our responsibility to humble ourselves. And remember, walking in humility is a choice that we can make each and every day. Just as we decide to be a Christian, we need to decide to walk humbly with God, right? And to walk hum humbly before man. And so how do you walk humbly? Well, first of all, I think you got to develop a proper opinion and mentality of yourself. How you view yourself has everything to do with whether you walk in pride or you walk in humility, right? Right? Right. And so when you're not walking in humility, you tend to think that you're better than everybody else. I'm better than him. I'm better than her. 
That, that's a sign that you're in pride. Ephesians 12 and 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. So Paul encourages us to think of ourselves with sober judgment. What does that mean? I think it means to have, it means to have the correct opinion of yourself. To have sober judgment means to realize that you're no better than anybody else. That you got issues too, right? Come on. Am I talking to the right crowd here today? You see, realizing we're not better than anyone else, we're all marred vessels with a propensity to do all kinds of evil and wickedness. How many of you know that's true? Adam, you can blame Adam for all that, right? But listen, the bottom line is none of us can have the room to just look at everybody else and say, I'm better than them. See, that's why prejudice should go out the window. You, you're not better than anybody else. Come on, talk to me. You, that's why you shouldn't look down at anybody that's not at the same social ladder as you. Because if you do, you know what that is? It's, yes, it is, yes. So how do you know if you're thinking too highly about yourself? Pay attention to what you say. Because how many of you know out of the heart, the mouth speaks? And the Bible says in Proverbs 27 too, don't praise yourself. Let others do that. One indication you're not walking in humility is when you begin praising and bragging. Man, you know what I did? Just do like this. Uh-oh. That stinks, right? Another indication you're not walking in humility is when, when uh, you have problems with prideful people. When prideful people really begin bothering you. How many of you know? You, you, you heard that statement? It takes one to know one. I believe that's biblical. Romans 12, 1 says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same. Uh-oh. Takes one to know one. So whatever we judge others for, we're usually guilty of the same thing in our life. I think it's prideful to think that we don't have any shortcomings. That's why Jesus said, in Matthew 7, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your own brother's eye and pay no attention to the... Another indication you walk in humility is cultivating a strong dependence on the Lord. You know, like sometimes we think humility is like, how you doing? Hi. That, that can be as prideful as anything else. You know, I, I'm just a nobody. No, is God your father? Are you going to just reflect that on the father and say, the father know how to raise some sons and daughters? Come on. How many of you know humility is not that? But you know, another indication of humility is, is cultivating a strong dependence on the Lord. And, and uh, humble people realize they, they, they need the Lord's help. And that's what the scripture says, James 4.10, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. When you're walking in humility, you understand, I can't do this life alone. I can't do it by myself. And so you're constantly asking God and reading his book. Lord, how do I do this? Lord, I need your help. I need your strength. So another way to know if you're truly walking in humility is to pay attention to how much and how often you spend praying and seeking God's help in your life. Does that make sense? One last indication of walking in humility is having the ability to get along well with others. <laughs> 
Oh, my goodness. Proverbs 13.10 says, Pride leads to arguments. Be humble. Pride leads to arguments. You know, I'm convinced that every time I get in an argument with somebody, it's an indication that pride is raising its head in my life. And pride is the cause of fighting and quarreling and conflicts. How many of you know it's hard to to fight with somebody that don't want to fight? You know, I mean, you can do all the fighting, right? But humility has the ability to end fights, to forgive wrongs and to get along with others. See why I'm telling you, I got, I mean, I was like, Lord Jesus, do I have to preach this message? You know, as Pastor Kelly said, okay, before you preach a message, you either got to live it, the, you know, before or right after. <laughs> Lord said, okay, let's see if you really believe all that stuff, right? But humility has the, listen, humility has the ability to overlook people's shortcomings, forgive hurts and offenses, and make peace with others. You know, one of the things, Brother Francis taught us a lot of things over the years, but one of the things that he taught us, those that you've been around here for a while, is he says, walking in humility means you die to yourself and your rights and you live the crucified life. What's the crucified life? You die to yourself, right? So if you're struggling with holding offenses and constantly having conflict with others, it's a strong indication that you're not still, that you're still living in pride and you're not yet dead to yourself and walking in humility. Come on. How many of you know that'll preach right there? Right. And so, you know, um, you know, dead people don't get offended and they don't fight. Right. And, uh, you know, I, whenever I was working in the oil field, I had a coworker that I couldn't stand. I know I shouldn't say that as a pastor, but it's okay if I just confess my sin this morning. I mean, you might know somebody else that has somebody in their life that they, oh, I don't like them. That was me, you know, and, and working at Camco. Oh, man, I was just like, I just look at him and I was just like, ah, oh, you know. And uh, I, was, I was here at church one day and Brother Francis was saying, you know, he was talking about dying to yourself and humility doesn't get offended and, you know, doesn't live in conflict with other people. And he said, have you ever gone to somebody that's laying in a casket and cuss them out? You know, tell them all kind of that you are no good and all that. So what do they do? Nothing. Why? Because they dead. So if you if somebody cusses you out and you got to fight, you're not yet dead. Oh, how many of you know that? That was not what I wanted to hear. Right. <laughs> But how many of you know Christianity is living out the faith? I mean, everybody can say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, have faith, believe in God. But what about putting blue jeans on it? How about working it out? How about living it out? Come on, are we going to stay babies or are we going to grow up? Come on, how many believe we need to grow up? Now, why do we need to walk in humility? Well, here's the reason why. James 4, 6 says God's opposed to the proud, but listen, he gives grace to the humble. Come on, how many of you want the grace of God? That's the touch of God, the favor of God, the blessing of God, amen? And he says, you just walk humbly with me and I'm gonna see that everything works out, amen? You know, and um, he never stopped being ugly to me after I decided to try to live the casket life. <laughs> but you know what? God delivered me, Amen? So I've noticed in life, the more sober I am about myself, the more I depend on God for help, and the better I get along with others, the more grace and blessing and favor I feel of my life. 
And so I just want to encourage you today. You know, we can choose to walk in pride or we can choose to walk in humility. But the Christian life is walking in humility. Amen? The second way to walk out your Christianity is walk in gentleness. Or some translation says meekness. The Bible says in verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Now, some people think that gentleness or meekness is weakness. But, but you, they're missing the point. It's just the opposite. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength. Amen? You know what? Gentleness doesn't mean you're being weak, but rather it means you have power that's under control. Amen? The picture is a horse or a stallion that, that has incredible power and strength, but it, once the trainer breaks it or it's been meekened, now it can be used. And so God gives us strength. He gives us, you know, soulish strength, physical strength, spiritual strength. But if that strength is not meekened, then we're not useful to God. But once he, once he meeks us, once we become gentle, then we can be used of God. Amen? You know, listen, Moses, who was a strong leader, led the entire nation of Israel out of Egypt, parted the Red Sea, did all these miracles, was considered to be the meekest man on all the earth. Was he weak? No. He was strong. But remember, like, he didn't start that way. The Bible says in Numbers 12, 13, the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Moses wasn't a meek man. He was a strong man. But he didn't start that way. Remember, he's the one that killed the Egyptian. That's not meek. But he learned to be meek. Moses went through a transformation process through his failures and through his desert experiences. God brought him to the place where he was broken and he was meeked and then God could use him. Come on, how many of you want to be used of God? So listen, humble people are not weak people or gentle people are not weak people, but it's just the opposite. Have you ever noticed, the, um, you know, Jesus, he wasn't a weak leader, was he? But the Bible says that he was, he was meek. In, in Matthew eleven twenty nine. take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Right? So I was thinking about this, and you know, the, the, you, you, you uh, notice the behavior of a chihuahua? Come on, we're going to get deep theology here today. And a Doberman pincher and a, you know, German shepherd. You know, the chihuahua barks, 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 barks. Says a lot, makes a lot of noise. You know, insecure. He's a little bitty fella. You know, he'll try to chase cars down and get in trouble when he gets them. But, but the Doman pitcher, the German shepherd, they have a lot of strength, but they don't, they don't make a lot of noise. They just walk in meekness because they know who they are. So when we know who we are, we don't have to live the chihuahua life. I told you, it's deep theology here this morning, man. <laughs> now, why do we need to walk in meekness? Well, the Bible says, so we can experience a greater measure of God's blessing. In Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Another translation says, blessed are the meek or the gentle. The whole wide world opens up to them. Amen? Come on, we can do better than we're doing right now as we continue to walk in humility and gentleness. Amen? The third way to walk in, out your Christianity is to walk in patience. 
How many of you just said, would you hurry up? <laughs> be completely humble and gentle and be patient. Patient means to be long-suffering or to be long-tempered. And so uh, people that are patient, they're not easily provoked to anger or easily upset with other people or difficult, uncomfortable circumstances. You know, they, they just have a way. Instead of having a short fuse, they have a long fuse. And, um, you know, this is, I think this is more of a struggle for men. Women just tend to naturally have a shorter fuse than men. Am I right, men? Help me out. Say yes. Say just say yes. You know that women are not normally easily set off or be emotionally charged as men. But you know the one shortcoming in Moses' life was he lacked patience. Although he was a meek man, you remember um, whenever the Israelites were complaining they didn't have any water, and so the Lord said, "Okay, go speak to that rock, and I'm gonna get water to come out of it." That's what Moses did, right? No. What did he do? He struck the rock. And that's what the Bible says. Numbers 20, 11. And Moses raised his arm, struck the rock twice with his staff. And water gushed out in the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community in the land I give them. Now, let's ask the question. Why did Moses strike the rock instead of speaking to it? He lost his cool. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Cajun translation. He lost his cool. He lost his patience with the Israelites because they were murmuring and complaining. You bunch of knotheads, I'll show you. And he hits the rock. And the Lord said, that's not what I told you to do. And you know, Moses never got a chance to get into the promised land because of his impatience. Now listen, there's a lesson here. We can go over that right away. When you're not patient with the Lord's work in your life, when you're not patient with your circumstances, Moses never got to go into the promised land because he lacked patience. I wonder what I'm forfeiting in my life when I'm not patient. Come on. Come on. You received that this morning? So patience with people is a characteristic we have to develop if we're going to be good representation of Christianity and fulfill our God-given destiny. Amen? Because Proverbs 16.32 says, Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. You know, I remember talking to Miss Babs. Again, I'm just going to pick on, on Brother Francis today. But I remember Brother Miss Babs telling me, Talking about Brother Francis, I've never heard that man raise his voice. It's like, cool. Ain't nobody could say that about me unless they haven't been around me. But isn't that an incredible? I've never heard that man raise his voice. Wow. I got some work to do. What about you? The fourth way to walk out your Christianity is walk in love. Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing one another in love. Walking in love is yet another responsibility of every believer. Now, what does it mean to walk in love? I think the New Living Translation kind of clears it up for me. And this is what it says. In Ephesians 4.2, in the New Living Translation, it says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. 
making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So the Lord desires and requires that every Christian do what? Learn how to make. Learn how to make. Come on, I know it's hard to say it, but learn how to make allowances for each other's faults. Allowances for each other's faults. Now, what does that mean? It means don't hold their shortcomings over their head. It means don't mistreat them or withhold love because they have faults or shortcomings. You know, listen, there's, you know, there's different words of, of love in the Bible. You know, there's um, eros, which is like erotic, sexual kind of, there's phileo, brotherly love, there's, uh, but there's one of the words that says it's agape, which is unconditional love. Now, everybody has the other kinds of love. The world has those other kinds of love. You know, brotherly love is like, man, I love you, dude. Oh, man. It, it's just human love. But agape love is unconditional love. It's the kind of love God has when he loves us, even though we're not lovable. And that's what he's saying. Love people unconditionally. Now, come on. I tell you, if you want to know the maturity of your Christianity, here it is right here. How much can you love the most unlovable person on the globe? That's how mature your faith is. Come on. How many of you know that's, that's it? I mean, you could prophesy. You can, you know, you, you could do all that stuff. But how about your love? How, how much can you love? Come on. How many of you know that hurts right there? So to bear one another in love means to give room for people to have faults and not demand they be perfect. To bear one another in love means to not hold people's faults against them. You know, kind of just like the Lord does with us. You know, how many of you know that the Lord looks past our faults? You see, you, we have to get revelation of this if we're going to love people unconditionally. And you have to walk in humility because if you think you're something that you don't have any faults, then you're going to hold everybody else to a standard that you can't even reach yourself. But the reality is we all got issues. We all got junk in the trunk. We all got stuff. Come on. Y'all help me. Say amen right there and help the brother out while he's preaching. Amen. Come on. How many of you say, I got a little bit of junk in my trunk. I mean, I'm not all that. I got some issues in my life. But you know what? It's amazing how we'll focus on the speck, the sawdust in somebody else's life while we avoid the board. Come on. The, the board road that's in our own life. Amen. But loving people unconditionally means to look past people's faults. Amen. Which leads me to the fifth and the final point. The fifth way to walk out your Christianity is this. Walk in unity. Walk in unity. And that's what he says there in, in be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now remember, Paul is speaking not to the heathens out there in the world. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the Ephesian church and he's saying, hey, walk in unity. He's encouraging the church to make every effort to do everything they can to keep the unity of the spirit. Why? Why is that such a big deal? 
Because I believe it's, it's the reason why he's trying to teach the church to live and to walk in unity. It's because that's how we defeat the enemy and we win our spiritual battles. Amen. And so listen, you know, whenever you think about it, every time the enemy wants to disrupt or mess up a marriage or a family or anything, he'll bring disunity in it to try to break it up. And sometimes we just play right into the hand. But come on, how many of you know we got to be wiser than the serpent? Amen. And gentler than the dove, right? But Mark chapter 3, 23, Jesus said, Jesus called them to, to, and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself... Uh, and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. And so I think what, what Jesus is saying that, listen, any church that allows division to come in and doesn't protect unity will be weakened and defeated. Amen? I mean, listen, all the devil has to do to stop a church in his tracks is bring disunity in it. That's all he has to do. I mean, he doesn't have to throw no demonic forces at us. All he's got to do is just get us out of unity. Listen, any family or marriage that allows division to come in is weakened and is susceptible to to be defeated. Does that make sense? Any business, any team, you know, a team that doesn't work together, they're not going to win the championship. They're not going to be successful. Listen, any nation that has disunity won't stand, Jesus says. Does America have unity or disunity? I'm concerned about the future of America. Because if Jesus is right, and he is, then we need some unity in America. Can I get a better amen? You can't win spiritually. Listen, you can't win spiritually if you allow division to take over your life, your church, your family, your marriage, anything like that. So how do you keep the unity of the spirit? Well... Promote peace. Keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that's what he says there. And so if we make a priority to live at peace with people, then we're going to be blessed. How many of you know that? Listen, if I work at trying to keep unity in this church, I'll do better than if I try to cause division. Amen? If I, if I work at trying to keep unity in my marriage, my marriage is going to be better off if I promote that instead of promote disunity. Amen? If I try to keep unity in my family, I'm doing better than if I allow disunity. Are y'all with me out there? And so here's the crux of the matter. You know, what do we need to do? We need to try to bring peace. Why? Because the Bible says in Matthew 5 and 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And so listen, I believe there's a spirit on America that's a spirit of conflict, of antagonism, of, 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 you know, and it's this, you know, all this stuff you see, everybody, I think, listen, we've seen it manifest in the natural, but it's a spirit. 
It's a spirit that's over America. And that's why everybody's fighting. And it's less like, you know, you never, it's not just, you know, uh, you know, one culture fighting another culture, one nation fighting another nation. Listen, it's marriages that are fighting. It's children and parents that are fighting. It's, it's people fighting with themselves. I mean, it's just don't end. And so you and I are called to walk out our Christianity and to walk in the unity of the spirit. Amen. In the bond of peace. Amen. Come on, are y'all with me out there? Would you do me a favor and just stand? See, this is really, this is really Christianity in blue jeans. This is really, man, now how many of you know this ain't easy right here? I mean, it's easy for me to stand up here and preach, but don't cut me off up there in in a parking lot because I might have trouble walking in all this, right? You, You know what I'm saying? But it, it, it needs to be what we shoot for. How many of you know you can't do that without the Lord's help? You, we can't do this. It's a standard that's unreachable. But you know what Paul's saying? Listen, guys, this is the standard. If you want to know what it's like to be a strong, mature believer, here it is right here. This is what it is. So you need to strive for it. You need to work for it. Now listen, we can't promote peace and unity without peace in our own life. If you don't have peace in your life, you'll never promote it in your family or your marriage or anywhere else. It starts with peace in your own life. You can't give what you don't have. And so if you don't have peace in your life, you need to, you need, listen, we have Celebrate Recovery meets here every Friday. We have life groups. Listen, do what you need to do to say, man, I, I, got, I got turmoil in my life. Reach out. And I think that's the problem with Americans. They don't have the peace in their life, right? And so you can't have true peace in your life without first having peace with God. Because where is the true source of peace? He is, listen, the Prince of Peace. He's the prince of peace. You can't have peace in your life without first having peace with God. And listen, you can't have peace, the peace of God in your life without first surrendering your life. And listen, he has the incredible ability to stop the storm in your life. See, I didn't realize the turmoil that was going on in my life until I got saved. And then I was like, wow, I never had this much peace when I got as high as I've ever been. I never had this peace. Why? Because his peace surpasses Budweiser. Come on, say amen. Come on. His peace surpasses pills. It surpasses a vacation. It surpasses anything you could look for or try to get peace out of in this world. His peace. He's the prince of peace. You can't have peace. Till you have him in your life. Until you surrender to him. Every person has to face that question of, have you surrendered to him? And I can remember. It's like I was okay with going to church. I didn't want to surrender. Because there's something about that you want to hold on. But how many of you know Jesus said, you got to let go if you want to gain. you got to surrender your life if you want to win your life. Would you just bow your head with me for just a moment? If you're here today and you say, Todd, 
I don't think I have peace with God right now. I've never become a Christian. I've never asked him to forgive my sins. I've never surrendered my heart to him. Would you pray for me? Would you just lift your hand so I can see? And I just want to pray a prayer with you where you are. Just raise your hand and raise it high. If you're, if you're sincere and you're genuine and say, Todd, would you just pray? Just raise it high. If God's just moving on your heart, just, just, just respond to that right now. He's a gentleman. He's gentle. He won't force you. He won't make you. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Anybody else? Thank you for being so bold. I see your hand, sir, right over here. Anybody else? Man, I can remember whenever I was sitting in the pew and somebody presented me with this question. My heart was beating. It was everything in me that wanted to do it, but everything in me didn't want me to do it. I see your hand, sir. Thank you for being so bold. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. And I want to pray for you. Thank you. I see your hand. There's three, four, four hands, five hands. Can we just pray this prayer together? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, for shedding your blood so my sins could be forgiven and I could become a Christian. I know I've sinned. I'm guilty. I need your forgiveness. And I'm asking you for it. I humbly surrender my life to you. Say, Lord, help me to live the Christian life. Help me to live my life for you. Thank you, Jesus, for accepting me today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, it's the greatest prayer you could ever pray. And I encourage you, there's a card in your pew with a green bar across the top that says, I made a decision. I encourage you, if you want to, just fill that out and just bring it to the lobby or bring it to somebody up here. And uh, we have some tools, some uh, Bible if you need it, just just some material just to kind of get you out of the gates. But we're here for you. We're your family. And we're walking in unity. Amen. We're getting along. Amen. We're looking past people's faults. Amen. We're not thinking of ourselves too highly. Amen. We're living out the Christian faith, right? Let me pray for you. Father, I pray the blessing and the favor of the Lord over the body of Christ today. Lord, I thank you, God, that, Lord, when we walk in the ways of the Lord, there's blessings that abound all over, all around us. And we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, may your grace be with us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody that agreed said amen. You're dismissed. Have a great, t- great day. If you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here Just come and join us.